Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is a crowd podcast. People like Bruce Lee, they don't just die. They don't go for a nap and never wake up. Not someone like him. Death by misadventure. That's the official line, anyway. Allergic reaction to a sleeping pill. That's what the doctors say. Bruce Lee. They are various kind of strikes. The guy who was invincible in his movies. There is the finger jab. Indestructible. There is the punch. The fastest cat you've ever seen. Straight at the ground, all come up. The guy who created a whole new way of fighting, a whole new way of training. Of course, then they use legs. The guy with the perfect body. The body they say every man wants. Hey! Misadventure. That's how they say he died? It doesn't seem right, does it? The more you read about it, the more questions you have. Even today, people aren't convinced. They want different answers. But there might not be any. And that's the most frustrating part. See, Bruce Lee is one of a kind. You only have to watch his movies to realize that. Like Fists of Fury, the karate school fight. Bruce Lee versus a room of martial arts students, 20 or so. They're all trying to attack him at once. And he makes them all look stupid. He starts with kicks, pivoting on his foot and kicking left, kicking right, kicking wherever he can whenever anyone comes within touching distance of him. One guy thinks he's got him, sneaks up behind him, but Lee elbows him, throws him to the floor, and then kicks the next two guys to the floor too. Every move is calculated. Martial arts meets chess. No one can bring him down. So he earns a fight against the master, one-on-one. Bruce's kicks are better. His punches are faster. He moves like he's gliding, like time has slowed down for him. He beats him, kick to the chest, kick through a wall. Right hand, left hand, one final kick. The master is on the floor, defeated. Bruce, he pulls on his jacket, always the coolest man in the room. It's a movie, but Bruce Lee makes it seem real. And to him, it was real. Sure, there are cameras, a script, actors, whatever. 
But here's the thing about Bruce Lee and his movies. You knew he could do every move in real life. He could fight any way and anyone, and he'd probably win every time. He's not just a movie star either. He's been dead for nearly 40 years, but he's still just as important as ever. And the craziest thing of all, he never gets to see any of this. He dies before he becomes world famous, before he gets to see mixed martial arts turn professional, before UFC. He dies before he can see the Asian actors he inspired, the ones who say Bruce Lee broke down barriers for them. He dies before he can see how many people he still inspires today. Actors, politicians, astronauts, you name it. Everyone wants to be Bruce Lee. People like him don't just die. Americans love a good story. A nation built by people with stories. People chasing a new future. And Bruce Lee is one of those dreamers. There's always a buzz down at the docks. People coming with big dreams and plenty leaving with broken ones. It's 1959 and Bruce stands on the deck of a boat looking at San Francisco. It's where he was born 19 years ago. He's going to make something of himself here. He's already promised himself that. Back home in Hong Kong, Bruce is a somebody, a child actor who's been in lots of films already. But he's been in lots of fights too, pissed off the wrong people. That's always been Bruce's problem. It's why his dad sent him to America with $100 in his pocket. America or a Hong Kong jail? Those were his options. And this is the land of opportunity. Bruce buys into the story 100%. He's going to live the American dream. He doesn't know how exactly, but he feels like it's going to have something to do with martial arts. He's been learning the style of Wing Chun since he was a boy. Wing Chun is all about self-defense, all about speed. Being the strongest person in a fight doesn't mean you win. Bruce learns this at a young age and dedicates himself to being the best at this style. No one's ever done Wing Chun like Bruce Lee and people can't get enough of it. The Chinese community in San Francisco can't stop talking about this Lee boy from Hong Kong. The guy moves quicker than anyone I've seen. The guy trains every day, does things I've never seen. Bruce becomes a teacher. It's funny to say now, but his first job is teaching the cha-cha. Not sure he would have made many movies about that. But soon, people want to learn what Bruce Lee knows. San Francisco is the land of the rich and famous, and word travels even faster in that kind of town. Actor Steve McQueen and LA Lakers star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar become his students. But this starts to cause problems. What draws people to Bruce is how different he is. And unique doesn't always go down well. 
Most teachers offer one form of martial arts and stick to it rigidly. Not Bruce. He hates traditions. Starts doing something that's unthinkable to most Chinese people. He mixes things up. He doesn't just teach Wing Chun. He mixes it with Kung Fu, with Judo, Taekwondo, Tai Chi, you name it. Bruce learns about it and incorporates it into his style. Why limit yourself to one, Bruce asks people. Each has strengths, but each has flaws. Why not create a style that takes the best of everything? That's the basis of mixed martial arts today. But in the 50s and 60s, when Bruce is doing this, it's unheard of. Blasphemy. It spits on everything an entire community believes in. Worst of all, he's teaching this new style, a style he calls Jeet Kune Do, to white guys, black guys, anyone who asks, as well as Chinese students. See, Bruce always hates the status quo. And the status quo in Bruce Lee's America is real. It's everywhere. Not just in his community, not just about martial arts. It exists everywhere he looks. It even defines who he is because of what he looks like. Mixing with guys like McQueen gets him thinking about getting back into movies, Hollywood. He starts to realize this is where he could break the biggest status quo of all. Quick history lesson. America's relationship with China is complicated. A hundred years before Bruce is born, Chinese laborers help white Americans achieve what they called manifest destiny with the greatest railroad ever built, stretching from coast to coast. Thousands of them die building the America we know today. But they don't get medals or money or fame. They don't become part of America's story. Heroes like Billy the Kid or Jesse James. They get hatred, scorn and ridicule. In 1882, they're banned from the country altogether. Those laws are rolled back in the decades before Bruce is born, but stigmas like that, contempt, you don't get rid of it with legislation. It burns deep. It can take generations to go away. The stereotypes grow. Silly accents, big hats, stupid, lazy, clumsy, subservient. And those stereotypes are at their worst on the silver screen. Back then, movies are rare. You spend months waiting for that new movie to come out. People go and watch movies and remember every single moment, every line, every character, every stereotype. Bruce hates it. It's everywhere. TV shows, movies, adverts, posters. Asian actors who are lucky enough to make it play submissive, dim-witted characters, happy to be serving their white masters. And Asians barely even get movie roles in the first place. 
Bruce sees the worst example of this on a date of all places, a date with a white woman, Linda. That's controversial enough. They go to see breakfast at Tiffany's and what he gets is a slap in the face. Not from Linda. He marries Linda, eventually. Linda's mother isn't too happy about it and Bruce's parents aren't too happy about it at first, but everyone comes round in the end. No, this slap in the face is from the movie. Everyone knows Audrey Hepburn's character from Breakfast at Tiffany's, but you might have forgotten her landlord, Mr. Yunoshi. He's Japanese, not Chinese, but it's an Asian stereotype all the same. And that's half the problem. Audiences are told Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, it doesn't matter. That's just Asian. Forget the different cultures, forget the history. Forget the fact Bruce, a Chinese kid, grew up in Hong Kong seeing Japanese soldiers as his enemy. In Hollywood, they're all the same. The other half of the problem, the bigger half, is that the actor is a white American, Mickey Rooney. He's a joke, a cheap laugh. Rooney wears big false teeth, walks clumsily into walls and doors, never opens his eyes wider than a squint, speaks with an accent turned up to 11. It pisses Bruce off, makes him more determined to be different in Hollywood. But that American dream Bruce was chasing, it doesn't happen for him like he might have hoped. He makes a name for himself, but it's brief, a moment in time. In 1966, he gets a role on The Green Hornet, a TV show, as the title character's sidekick, Cato. The Green Hornet lasts one season, but it's groundbreaking. The first time American audiences see martial arts like that. The first time they see an Asian character that isn't a stereotype. Kato is a badass, pure and simple. He helps the Green Hornet beat up the bad guys. He's not dumb. He's not goofy or clumsy. He's smart. He thinks before he punches, thinks before he kicks. Unlike Mr. Yunoshi, Kato is always in complete control of his body, of every situation. Kato talks as well. That's a victory for an Asian actor, always giving out these nuggets of wisdom, life lessons to live by. Bruce writes these lines. He's got his philosophy, the essence he wants to portray on screen, down to a phrase. Be water. Water is calm, but it can be deadly. It's soft, but it's unbreakable. You put water in a cup, it becomes the cup. It adapts to whatever the situation is. People still live by these words but it takes time. Two of his students write a script for him, based on his style, everything he's taught them. It's meant to be called The Silent Flute, but by the time the studios get hold of it, it's renamed Circle of Iron. And the character written for Bruce Lee, the Chinese martial artist, it's given to David Carradine, a white American. And finally, it's time for his big break. For someone chasing the American dream, 
it's ironic that Hong Kong ends up giving this to him. But here, he can be a leading man. He doesn't need to play the sidekick. He can write and fund his own movies. He's older now, not the kid with the chubby cheeks who was a star there 20 years before. He's a man now. His body is perfect for these roles. Even today, you can still find thousands of articles on Google. How to get a body like Bruce Lee. People are still chasing that perfect look. He's like a picture from a school book. There's the pecs and six-pack, like they've been carved out of polished wood. Lots of people have those now, but Bruce is the first to make it a thing. And it's not just the pecs and six-pack. His lats, those muscles around your back and shoulders, are huge. When he raises his arms in the air, it's almost like he's got a set of wings. Bruce isn't some gym rat. He doesn't have veins popping out his body. He's not triangle-shaped like that guy who does weights all the time and skips leg day. He's not too bulky, not some beast like Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is a new Bruce Lee, an older, more strapping Bruce Lee. His movies are more successful than even he could have imagined. The Big Boss comes out in 1970, breaks Hong Kong box office records. Fist of Fury comes out in 1971 and shatters them. Then comes Way of the Dragon. It's a martial arts movie with exploitation and spy themes. It's even bigger. He fights Chuck Norris in this one. These days, Chuck's a meme, but he's also a karate champion. Their fights in Rome's Colosseum, and it's one of the best you'll ever see. Norris plays a guy called Colt. He gets the upper hand early on, knocking Bruce down a couple of times. But in these movies, Bruce always wins. His style is superior. Colt refuses mercy at the end, and Bruce disables him, breaking his leg and his arm. Then Bruce places Colt's black belt on his body as a show of respect. Martial arts aren't just about winning. It's deeper than that. And he's not done there. After Way of the Dragon comes Enter the Dragon. The climax sees him fight a guy named Han. Han has a prosthetic hand, like Wolverine's claw. Pretty big advantage, right? <laughs> they fight in a hall of mirrors. Han slashes at Bruce, across the cheek, across the chest, across the stomach. Bruce touches the cut on his stomach and licks the blood off his fingers like, is that all you got? Han's using the mirrors to his advantage, but slowly, methodically, Bruce smashes them one by one. Then there's only one Han left in the room. In these movies, you don't kill Bruce Lee. He always wins. Some quick kicks, some quick punches, and Bruce gets the upper hand. The final kick is so hard, so deadly, Han flies across the room and lands on a spear stuck in a door. Bruce looks at Han. He hangs there, dead. As movie scenes go, you can't get more badass than that. These movies are huge in Hong Kong, but still, it's America Bruce wants to crack. We'll get back to that after 
this short break. Hello, I'm Sam Walker. I've spent the last few months talking to this guy. I'm a hunter. It's what I do. He's called KC. Our rules of engagement are pretty simple. If we have to pull a trigger on one person, they're all going to go. He's an American vigilante. And there is one of the biggest men I've ever seen. And he's got a knife in his hand. He rescues kidnapped children. There's no feeling in the world like putting a child back in the arms of its parents. By any means necessary. Well, it's ugly. You want me to make sure I don't hurt anybody? He scares me. And he kind of looked at me, and I said, I swear to God, I said, if you do anything other than what I told you to do, I said, I'm going to kill you right here. And he might scare you. About got tears in your eyes right now just thinking about that, don't you? Download the podcast, American Vigilante. Download American Vigilante. Out now. Now. your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep so i'll be quick great job using the colgate optic white overnight teeth whitening pen before bed when used as directed it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days so while i fly and talk to animals you're removing teeth stains with ease sweet dreams and when you wake up keep on living life to the brightest colgate optic white find it at all major retailers In August 1973, when Enter the Dragon comes out, it's massive. America is finally starting to talk about him, but Bruce isn't around to see it because he's been dead for two weeks. That year, Bruce is relentless. He's already filming his next movie, Game of Death. People who work with him complain he's non-stop. In May, He's filming a scene in ridiculously hot conditions. He complains of a headache, then he collapses. Doctors say he has a cerebral edema, swelling of the brain. Some antibiotics sort him out and Bruce puts it down to heat stroke. It's a hot year in Hong Kong after all. He recovers, gets straight back on it. You don't take days off when you're Bruce Lee. When fame is right there on your fingertips, and Bruce's schedule doesn't let up. It's July and he's finishing filming a scene with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's also trying to get George Lazenby, who's just played James Bond, to sign up for his next movie. But the heat? It's unbearable. July 20th is one of the hottest days of the year in Hong Kong. And it's a busy day for Bruce. He smokes cannabis in the morning, like he often does, to expand his consciousness. Bruce wants to show Lazenby a scene for that movie. He recreates it once at full speed and then again and again. Lazenby is blown away. He'll do it, he says. Bruce is over the moon, but he's getting a headache. He goes to see his mistress, a Taiwanese actress called Betty Ting Pei. Bruce always had a way with women, even when he's married. She lives at 67 Beacon Hill Road, second floor apartment, one of the nicest parts of Hong Kong. 
It's sweltering outside, and it's not much better inside. The aircon is on, but Bruce can barely feel a thing. He can't stand it anymore. Can't stand the headache, and can't stand the heat. Betty gives him a sleeping pill, and he goes for a nap. He calls his director, Raymond Chow, to say he'll be late to dinner. 7pm. 8pm. 9pm passes. Chow calls again and again. But Betty doesn't want to wake Bruce. It's 10pm when Betty finally tries. Bruce won't wake up, won't move. She calls Chow in a panic and he comes to the apartment as fast as he can. Bruce Lee is dead. Chow knows it the moment he gets there. The moment he sees him lying there. He looks so peaceful, like he's napping. This can't be happening, they tell themselves. Chow still remembers that day. Says, when he told Betty that Bruce might be dead, she shrieked like a cat. Screamed so loud, the whole neighborhood must have heard. A doctor arrives, tries to revive Bruce, but he can't. They take him to Queen Elizabeth Hospital, but his brain has swollen. It's too late to do anything. This time, they didn't catch it quick enough. Above a portrait of Bruce is a banner in Chinese reading, a star sinks in a sea of art. What Bruce dies of, officially, is a cerebral edema. Death by misadventure, the official coroner's verdict, means he simply died by accident. Open and shut case, or so they say. And this is where the conspiracies, the whispers start. Hong Kong's newspapers go into overdrive. Here's what one report claims. He died with an erection, midway through sex with Betty and a group of other women. Bruce Lee was killed by the mafia, writes another. Bruce Lee died of a drug overdose. Bruce Lee is cursed. Or Bruce Lee had his sweat glands removed. That one is true, actually. He hated how much he would sweat during his fight scenes, but doctors say it had nothing to do with what happened. Betty Ting Pei's life is desolate. People line up outside her apartment with signs saying, Betty killed Bruce. People spit at her in the streets. You took him away from us, they tell her. It gets worse when Enter the Dragon comes out and Bruce becomes an international star. People discover his other movies. People dig out interviews he gave. People find whole movies of him doing unbelievable things. There's one of him doing the one-inch punch. Literally, a punch with his fist one inch away from someone else and sending the guy flying back three or four feet. You're telling me that guy died after having a nap because something happened to his brain? People don't buy it, but that's what happened. And really, Bruce Lee the man might be dead, but... Bruce Lee the superstar, Bruce Lee the icon, he's never been more alive. 
Because people like Bruce Lee, they don't just die. This episode of Death of a Film Star was written by Nate Saunders and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Phil Brown. For research, we used the archives of the BBC and ESPN. We also watched ESPN's Be Water and Pete McCormack's I Am Bruce Lee and read Bruce Lee, A Life by Matthew Polly and Be Water, My Friend, The True Teachings of Bruce Lee by Shannon Lee. The music we use is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you want another podcast to listen to, try our other series, Death of a Sports Star, and start with the episode about boxing legend Sonny Liston. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.